Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. My name is Katie, and I am bringing the word to us today. Uh, But I want to start with just a couple of stories to start with. There was a man named Brian, and he was born in San Diego, California. After years of dreaming of quitting his nine-to-five office job to pursue a career in art and graphic design, he decided to take the leap and to do so with his savings and a small portfolio. Although the early days were tough, filled with sleepless nights and countless challenges, within a few years, his portfolio grew. Word of his exceptional talents spread, and he started his company. Clients from all corners sought his expertise from small businesses to international brands. Brian's designs adorned billboards, websites, and packaging, making him tens of millions of dollars. After a while, he bought a luxurious penthouse in the heart of the city and traveled the world. He donated generously to his church and other charities, giving back to the community that had supported him on his journey. Despite the material success, Brian remained grounded. He remembered his humble beginnings and continued to work passionately as he mentored young artists and encouraged them to chase their dreams. As Brian looked back on his life, he knew that quitting his job to pursue his dreams had been the best decision he ever made. He had achieved the life he had wanted while staying true to his values and making a positive impact in the world. Next is Susan. Susan grew up in a small town of Galena, Illinois. She worked hard in school, earned a scholarship to the University of Illinois, and became the first in her family to graduate from college. Susan then moved to the bustling city of Chicago, where she landed a job at a prestigious advertising agency. While in Chicago, Susan met the love of her life, Robert, and they built a life together filled with love, laughter, and two wonderful children. They bought a charming house in the suburbs, and their home was always filled with family and friends they had met at a lively local church where they served in the special needs ministry. As the years passed, Susan and Robert watched their children grow into successful adults, and they became doting grandparents to several grandchildren. They had achieved financial stability, did some traveling, and experienced the joys of retirement together. One peaceful evening, surrounded by her loving family, Susan peacefully passed away. Her legacy lived on in the hearts of her children and grandchildren, who continued to cherish the values of hard work, service, and the pursuit of a fulfilling life. Those are nice stories, right? They have a lot of things in those stories of their lives that we would say we want for our life. They have meaning, family, passion, freedom to travel, enjoying retirement. Surely those people, when they were looking back at the end of their life, would be able to say, wow, that was an amazing life. That was it. But what if at the end of their life, they weren't able to say that? What if they were there and they said, did I, did I miss something? Was that it? Because none of us wants to get to that point and have regret, I think we often think of those big questions. Am I pointed towards the right things? Am I doing what matters right now? 
gosh, life goes really fast. Am I wasting it away? Today, we're going to hear about another person's life named Stephen. He was the first martyr to die in the name of Jesus Christ. Stephen's life and death takes up two very short chapters in the Bible. And yet his death was the match that lit the wildfire of the church to spread to the ends of the earth and to become the bride that she is today. We're talking about Stephen. He's a big deal in the church, right? Let me just tighten up my ponytail here real quick because we're headed in, okay? We've been saying in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is the thesis of all of the book of Acts. So let's read it real quick. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Stephen's death was the catalyst that took the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's amazing and it is inspiring. And I believe there's something we can see from his life as well. Today, we're going to look at two specific points. And those are that Stephen didn't waste his life and God didn't waste his death. First, I want to look quickly about what we know about Stephen when we're introduced to him in chapter 6. He was a young man, probably in the 28 to 30 range, when we're introduced to him in chapter 6. Um, Austin mentioned it briefly last week. The church has been growing and the apostles are drowning, right? They need help. And so they look for a few people to help serve the widows. And so they pick seven men from among the thousands, the top seven, right, of good repute. And Stephen is one of those men. Let's read starting in verse six. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. When they secretly instigated men who had said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceased to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that the Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat at the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So Stephen was a Jew, a Hellenist Jew, which means he, uh, was, he grew up in the Jewish tradition outside of Jerusalem. And so he spoke Greek. 
That's what a Hellenist Jew is. And so that's what he was. But at some point, he decides to give his life to Jesus. He realizes that all of the Old Testament teachings, all of the sacrifices and the rituals and the traditions, they were pointing towards a Messiah. And he has that realization that Jesus is that Messiah. And so he's fully devoted. He's fully given his life to Jesus. Stephen loved God and proclaimed Jesus with his words and his deeds. First, let's look at his deeds. Verse 5 says he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. When we hear that someone's full of rage or full of anger, that kind of gives you a specific picture, right? They're being controlled by it. It's the driving force behind all of their actions. Anyone, pre-workout drink out, drinkers here? <laughs> um, basically, if you don't know, pre-workout's just a lot of caffeine that you drink right before you work out so that you can work out really hard. I had to give up drinking pre-workout because I got really mean um, because I, there was so much like pent up energy and it's kind of that visual of I was full of rage and I was ready to just kind of like jump down someone's throat whenever it was, you know, something went wrong. It's kind of like Stephen, only Stephen was full of good things and was just ready to um, interrupt people with the Holy Spirit and with his faith. It's the driving force. The Holy Spirit is the driving force behind everything he does. We also see he's full of grace, full of power, doing signs and wonders. He is just wheeling and dealing. He's praying for people. They're getting saved. He's kind. He's gracious. He's serving the widows. Surely there's a 20-something-year-old woman in here that's like, where are the Stevens? Like, where can I find me one of them, right? His life had been completely enraptured by Jesus, and his life is showing it. But he doesn't just live it with his actions. He's talking about Jesus. He says it with his words. Stephen was incredibly wise. And it says he would get into these debates with the Jewish scribes and elders at that time. The synagogue of the freedmen. Basically, those people are just really Jewish Jews. Okay, They're very scholarly. They understand the law and they are just ready to debate with him. A lot of people think that Saul, soon to be the Apostle Paul, was one of those people that he debated with. Can you just imagine for a second, Saul and Stephen in this epic argument, this epic debate between the old covenant and the new covenant. But Stephen has the Holy Spirit and he is wise and they cannot withstand his wisdom. Have you ever gotten into a debate where you're left speechless. That is not a good sign, right? That is, you lost that debate. A lot of people will just start making stuff up to not be considered rendered speechless, right? But the Jews, the Jewish leaders at this time are, are humiliated by him. And so they get angry and they take him before the council. They get everyone else riled up and they say, let's bring him before the council. And they accuse him of blasphemy of Moses and the law and of God. 
Blasphemy is what you would accuse someone of if you wanted to get them in trouble, okay? So he, they're brought before the council and he, the high priest in chapter seven, verse one says, are these things so? And Stephen gives a 52 verse answer, <laughs> right? So we can't, we can't go into all of it today, his speech, but I encourage you to read it this week. It is beautiful. He, um, he just goes into a lot of detail about the Old Testament. And we're going to look at a few, a few key points of his speech today. <clears throat> Part of Stephen proclaiming Jesus with his words. And in this moment, he knows he needs to address the idols that the Jewish culture really has at that time. And so in his speech, through the art of suggestion, right, he's hoping that the Holy Spirit's going to fill in some of these um, blanks for them. But he is addressing the idols of the land, the law, and the temple. So we're going to look at those today. First, he talks about the land. As he's, as he's going through the stories of Abraham and Joseph and Moses, he really focuses on the location that they happen. He says in verse three, the father Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia, God spoke to him and said, I will take you to a land that I will show you. And in verse nine, the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. And verse 33, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush when he was in Midian and said, take the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He keeps reiterating the location, hoping that they will read between the lines that it doesn't matter where you are. God's not only in Jerusalem. If God is there, any place can be holy ground. But we have to see that for that Jewish culture, the land represented comfort. Deuteronomy 12, 9 through 10 says, You have not reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And he will give you rest from all your enemies so that you will live in safety. The holy land is comfort to them. It's God's blessing. Stephen knew that their hearts were too wrapped up in being, simply being in Jerusalem. They were making too big of a deal about the comfort and the security and the safety that the land itself provided them rather than God. Stephen knew that life wasn't about comfort that in order to completely live for Christ, they'll have to forego these earthly forms of comfort and find their rest and comfort in God. I wonder what our land is that we have made an idol of. Next, the idol Stephen addresses is the idol of uh, the law and of Moses himself. He knows firsthand firsthand. He was this man. The Jewish people hold, the, hold Moses and the law in the highest regard. And even that's probably an understatement. 
their whole life revolved around these cleansing rituals, around these sacrifices and traditions, over 600 laws that were meant to help them feel clean. They were using them to feel clean, to feel righteous, to look righteous from the outside. All the while, they're neglecting the inside, what's happening internally in their heart. Stephen's been broaching this subject even before he's put to the council. This is what he's talking about that brings him to the council in the first place. He's, he's questioning the law's ability to save. He's questioning the role that Moses really plays in all of this. But he makes it really poignant in verse 37. Stephen um, quotes Deuteronomy 18.15. And he says, This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. And so Stephen's saying, guys, you can't just make it about what Moses did. God said he's going to, even Moses said, he's going to add to it. There's going to be another prophet. And that prophet is Jesus. He also lumps all of his listeners into the golden calf story when he says, Our fathers, our fathers, verse 39, refused to obey Moses, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Stephen's saying, we all are just the sons of those guys. Who did that? I know you're really proud of your lineage and I know you're really proud of those customs, but I'm not so sure if it's something to be proud of. Stephen's longing for them to realize that the law is a lot better at condemning than it is at saving. None of them are as righteous as they think. The Jews were making it about their own self-righteousness rather than the righteousness granted to all of us by Jesus' death on the cross. I think it's all of our default, just as a human race, to look to our own behaviors Um, to judge whether we are good or bad, right? Whether we're a good person or a bad person. But the Bible, I'm sorry, we tend to compare with each other also. And we know that um, I say something like, at least I don't have as much of a potty mouth as she does. Or at least I know that I read my Bible more than he does. And the point of it is that without Jesus, none of us, We're good enough, even on our best day. But with Jesus, we are holy in God's sight. And the Holy Spirit is transforming us, helping us to live into that holiness. The last idol Stephen addresses is the idol of the temple itself. First, he mentions the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then that David wanted to make a dwelling place for God. But it was Solomon who built it. And then he follows this up with this kind of flow of things with a verse from Isaiah 66. It says, however, the most high does not live in houses made by men, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. 
What kind of house will you build for me? Says the Lord. Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all of these things? Here he's saying, can't you see that the tabernacle and the temple are these buildings of religion that you are now using to limit God's work in your life? Thinking that in order to meet with God, you have to be in that place. Stephen has encountered the Holy Spirit and he now has that personal relationship with him. And so he's frustrated and he's heartbroken at the thought that they have to go somewhere to talk to God or to worship him. When God's desire is that he would meet with us and we would have relationship with him everywhere we go and all the time. The, the Jewish culture, were so, they were so attached to the building of the temple, they had limited their relationship with God to a building rather than a genuine relationship with God wherever they go. I think we as the church in America, we do this more than we care to admit. We meet with God on Sundays and we read the Bible on the screen and we sing songs and we pray if there's some ministry time after and we forget the fact that God wants to speak to you about your anxieties for work on Monday. And he wants to hear your prayers and your requests about your family on Tuesday while you're doing laundry. And he wants to speak to you through his word on Friday. We all take advantage of the fact that we have access to God 24-7, 365, right? And I think our tendency with these Bible stories is to imagine ourselves in them, right? We hear Mary and Martha and we're like, oh, I'm Mary for sure, you know? And then we hear David and Goliath and his brothers and oh, I'm, yeah, I'm David. Like whether you're thinking that consciously or not, that's what we do. And we give ourselves a little more credit than we ought to probably. And so maybe you think of yourself as Stephen in this story. But we have to admit that we have all been the elders and scribes in this moment where we've thought about our own righteousness, our own self-righteousness rather than Christ's. And we've been seeking comfort from the things of this earth rather than God himself. And we're interested in meeting with God, maybe we're more preoccupied with the place that we meet with God rather than our genuine relationship and worship of him. Stephen, in his last moments, is trying to reach this group of people, saying it's all a waste if it's not about Jesus, if it's not about him. If he's not all that you want, if he's not all that you need, it's about depending on him. It's not about your comfort. It's not about your righteousness. It's about his. And he wants a relationship with you. Let's read the rest of the story, starting in verse 51. He gets bold here. <laughs> you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. 
Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Stephen, full of the grace that God had given him, full of the forgiveness that he had received from Jesus, extended it to his killers. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What a love he must have experienced to be able to say that to them. Stephen loved God in his life and to his death. He served the church. He healed people. He preached Jesus. He extended grace to his enemies, even unto death. What an amazing witness he was, dying for the cause of Christ. We may not be asked to die in Jesus' name in our country, in our lifetime. But our question this morning is, are you willing to live for him? We don't have to be a martyr to not waste our life. Any life lived proclaiming the name of Jesus is a life not wasted. If I had read Stephen's story at the beginning of our message today, instead of those other two, I just can imagine it, right? Confrontational church kid, never gets married, doesn't have kids, stays in the same place his whole life, dead at 29, right? Like that, that's sounds a little more likely to have been a life wasted than the ones that we read before. It's a lot less glamorous, maybe, than the American dream and the uh, families that we long to have in the retirement and vacations, all the things that we strive for. Having a meaningful life isn't about making a name for yourself. It's about making his name great. Will you proclaim the name of Jesus at your work? Will you proclaim the name of Jesus with your finances? Will you proclaim the name of Jesus in, in your service, not as for a pat on the back, but because you have experienced the love of Christ and you want to extend it to the least of these? Stephen lived an amazing life and died a tragic death. But the good news is that God didn't waste Stephen's death. Let's read in Acts, chap or Acts 8, chapter 1. I'm sorry, ch chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. But when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out from many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. After Stephen's death, the Christians had no choice but to flee. And that wasn't cowardly. That was God's plan. That's how they were going to take the good news to the rest of the world. Everyone up until this moment in chapter 7 has still been in Jerusalem. And then Stephen was murdered and things are getting more violent. And the people flee and they don't just live their lives in a different city now, quietly keeping to themselves. No, they're spreading the gospel. They're praying for people. They're baptizing people and the numbers are increasing. And it says there was joy in the city. There's freedom, there's healing. And I have to believe there's this camaraderie of just like, can you imagine what's happening? Like, I can't believe it. It's, it's going forth. Did you hear they're over there now? If you can imagine in Colorado, our, our, um, on the news when there's wildfires and you can picture the state and all the little fire icons that are in all the different cities. You can just imagine that over this area, and there's just more little fire icons everywhere. It's amazing. And the global church is born, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? God took what the enemy meant for evil, and he turned it not just for Stephen's good, but for our good, for our good, our life, our eternal life. He brought resurrection life from Stephen's death. And this is what our God does. Stephen died a physical death, but we have to remember that he experienced a spiritual death even before that. He surrendered his life to Jesus and the Stephen that he wanted to be died. But because of that death, the Christians were scattered and they took the gospel into other cities. And I have to believe that Saul, who we're going to talk about soon, saw the look on Stephen's face when he died. And that had an impression on him. And we're going to hear how he then was converted to Paul. And he took the gospel into other cities and it just continued to spread. They say it spread 40% or it increased 40% every decade until the fourth century where there then are 30 million Christians in the Roman Empire and they're the majority. God did that after one death. He takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turned it for good. The human life cycle is birth, life, right? That's what we can expect. But our spiritual life cycle is a little different. It's death, then life, then birth. In John, it talks about the grain of wheat has to die. Otherwise, it's alone. But if it does, it bears fruit. Our spiritual death gives birth to life. And that life isn't just Uh, for us to enjoy. It's not just, yes, I get to go to heaven and now I'm just gonna live my life the way I want to. 
it should give birth to more life, uh, making disciples, bearing fruit. This is how God's kingdom works. Proclaim the name of Jesus in life and you will not waste it. It will be more than you can possibly imagine, but it does come at a cost. It comes at a spiritual death. It costs you the plans that you had for your life. It costs you comfort and it will be difficult at times. I think we do a really good job here at Good Shepherd talking about um, kind of taking your next step. We believe in a long, faithful obedience in the same direction, and God will um, take that and he will transform us glory to glory. But I just, I want to encourage us this morning that maybe there's a really big step that you're supposed to take. Maybe you haven't given your life, you haven't, you haven't died that spiritual death yet and surrendered everything to Jesus. Today's the day. Take that big step. Maybe God has been asking you to do something really hard, to move to Africa, to sell your car, to adopt a baby or sign up for foster care. Whatever it may be, he is worth it. Stephen, if he was standing right here, he would say, Jesus was worth dying for, and he is worth living for. He's worth it. If it's not about Jesus, what's it about? I want to give you a couple moments to just let the Holy Spirit be, have your full attention this morning that he would maybe prompt you in some of those things. And so we have some questions on the screen that we can put up for you. Take a couple moments to ask God those questions and to listen to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the message of Stephen, that you bring life out of death that you can make good out of any situation. And so we just lay before you our lives. We give them to you with no borders to them. Whatever you call us to God, our yes is on the table because we know that you are worth it. And if that scares us, Lord, would you give us a picture of Jesus on his throne to get us through. We long to see you move in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Would you be with us this week? We love you so much. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.